0: Hello DTV community and welcome to the Travelers Blueprint podcast. Each week we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. Joining me today is the very enriched Elliot Chibley
1: And our guest for this episode is Valerian Harala, which is an awesome name by the way. And this episode we have fun talking about coffee while drinking coffee. We talk about coffee beans we talk about its origins the types of coffee there are the brew methods a brief history lesson on coffee and i mean i gotta say we really spilled the beans on this one donuts <laughs> uh, yeah there.
0: so the travel tip of the week is book the vacation time well before you go this is a great way to save money on your trip and lastly please consider some of the cool things that we offer How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page and once you download it you have it forever and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now if you do decide to purchase this we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better.
1: To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step process to create the ultimate itinerary including number one navigation, number two booking airfare, Number three, blogs, research, and reviews. Number four, itinerary building. And number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be plan efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure.
0: Yeah. And now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at the travelers, at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website. And we can meet over zoom to discuss the details of your trip.
1: You want to contribute to the podcast. If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel around table discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at the TravelersBlueprint at gmail.com for the monthly travel bites episode. Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Travelers Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly Value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Valerian, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Hey guys, how are you? We're good. We're drinking our coffee, and that's what we're talking about today. Yep. You. Right, you said it have your own podcast, Coffee Is Me, and we're going to talk about what that is, how you got into it, and all the, the good things associated with coffee and how it relates to travel. So before we get into it, can, we tell, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the Coffee Is Me podcast?
2: Okay. So it's, it's a long story. So get ready for it. All now right. sip your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I got it ready. So I'm originally from Central Europe, a country called Slovakia. I'm a Hungarian minority there. Uh, I always tell Americans, it's something like native Americans, United States, you know, because in Central Europe, the borders always changed. First World War, Second World War. You know, my family ended up in at that time, Czechoslovakia. So that's why you get this beautiful accent, which is for many people kind of like is it Slavic? Is it Hungarian? Well, it's both. OK, ah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm actually a political scientist. I studied in Bratislava and I was specializing in human rights. And I spent uh, a long time, well, three, three years in Bosnia, Herzegovina and Kosovo after the war working for United Nations. And uh, I'm saying this because that's where the whole passion for coffee started. And actually started with a the fight. There was an American woman. My colleague, she was very arrogant about American coffee, and I was very arrogant about European coffee, and we had this fight that which coffee is better—is it American or is it uh, European? Just to kind of set the scene. We had this uh, mass brand called Gevalia in our UN office. That's what yeah. we we're drinking, yeah. and she said this is disgusting. I said there's no way American can criticize coffee in you know in Europe. Yeah. She said, you know what? I I, I prove you wrong. I bring you some coffee from the United States. I said, fine. Well, she brought me Starbucks and it's 2000, right? And you have to imagine that in 2000, you know, Starbucks is a bit different beast than today. Plus it on, on, a bag, it said Sumatra, which for me was like, wait, you can buy coffee. Like you can buy wine. Is it like, you can actually buy it from a certain place. It's not only yellow brand and red blend and whatever, you yeah. know, like Europe that time. So I was like, I tasted it. It was dark roast. It was very different than whatever I drank before. And I fall in love with the whole concept. So after that, obviously, I married that woman and I had two kids with her. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I was like, when I came back to Europe, uh, I wanted to work in a beautiful embassy in, in New York or Paris, but my government said, nope, you can go back to war. I said, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm done so uh i changed profession to, to kind of coffee i did multiple jobs because uh naively i thought that you know opening a cafe and starting coffee is easy so uh, it's not and i did a lot of mistakes but uh sh- long story short the most important things was for me when i came to united states again in 2010 so it's 10 years later I all my previous experience as a human rights officer as working for UN does not mean anything, especially here in Northern California. There's no UN office here, right? Or nothing, so I could not get a job. I was like, now I'm going to do coffee, hundred percent, and I applied to every company around me I could. Obviously, it's 2010, US is in economic crisis. Naively, you know, I thought that mm-hmm. I was, yeah. nobody wanted me, nobody, except one Dutch guy. And that was Willem Booth, uh, and he offered me a, not a job. He offered me a partnership. He said, hey, dude, you are a nerd. You know how to do videos. You know how to do websites. I know how to do coffee. Let's make online education for coffee professionals. And I was like, OK, this can work, because if this fails, at least I get all your know how for free. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he's urging, you know arms and legs for his no- wisdom. Rightfully so. But I was like, yeah, let's, let's try it. So I did that and it actually became a very successful project. And then what happened next is like, I started also my Slovak company called Green Plantation through United States because I got inspired by, you know, the specialty coffee and I got cocky. And I was like, I'm going to do the same in United States, but this time, you know, I'm going to team up with a, with a farmer and I'm going to make a roasting company where half is owned by a farmer half is owned by a roster because everybody wants fair trade, right? There was a fair, we can talk about that does not work that easy, but in order to get all that know-how, I was like, how can I learn how to do business in the United States? But at that time I had some, you know, experience in Slovakia, but that's very different beast. So I started a podcast called Coffees.me and I interviewed coffee professionals and let them reveal their secrets, how to do business in the United (laughs) States. That's amazing.
1: I think yeah. coffee has such a huge place in my life and has for a very long time. Uh, I will I will say my my wife was surprised that I started drinking coffee in high school at like the age of 14. And the first time I ever had coffee was probably when I was six. And it was my grandmother's, I'm pretty sure it was like Folgers or Maxwell House, black. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked it and from there it's just evolved into this wanting to explore more coffee and i'd say 2000 was a like, i think the early 2000s kind of crazy time for beer and coffee where everyone wanted to explore the different possibilities of what beer and coffee could be and have that that accessibility and that variety for everything um so i mean starbucks is what it is today but now you have the ability to get a coffee subscription that is you know, sourced by a company, but it is almost directly related to the grower and the roaster. Yeah. So it's very cool.
2: Yeah. And for me, that was always important. So that's what, for me, the specialty world uh, is fascinating because you have all the stories of the farmers, you have the traceability of the coffee and... You know, I don't want to go deep into roasting because everybody prefers something else. I'm a light roast guy, but uh, some people who go dark roast, and that's fair. You know, everybody likes something else. But the traceability, the story of the coffee always elevates the whole experience, I think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I I mean, with Maxwell and Folgers, those like classic brands that are, you know, staples in the 80s and 90s, um, you've got now the ability to see like the actual farm and know who the farmer is. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Visual Capitalist. I feel like I brought it up a few times in some of our other episodes, but in 2020, I just pulled it up. They, have, they basically go through and do these incredible visuals of things related to the economy and all this fun stuff. Um, so they did visualizing the economics of coffee, basically from stage one of growing through stage two, exporting, stage three, roasting, stage four, distribution, and then stage five, retail and okay. they break down each of the individual costs associated with each step. And it is just so interesting to see all of these things that you never knew went into the actual retail price of either a bag of coffee or a cup of coffee, and how many hands actually touched that coffee before it reached your mug.
2: You know, that that's a good point. I like to um, use this analogy on my courses and, and anybody I talk uh, with about coffee is, you know, how much money does every of these steps make? Because that I know it's a bit different thing what you said, but it's also important to realize that who works most with coffee and who gets most money from the coffee. Mm -hmm. Do you want to hear the numbers? I do. I would love to. Okay. so and this is simplification, obviously, because there's other things involved. But just imagine that the farmer works with coffee approximately a year, right? From harvest to harvest plus, you know, some processing. So it's a little bit over a year until uh, the farmer says, okay, here's the coffee for sale. And it, he can get anything between one to $2 per pound, roughly, sometimes more depending if it's specialty, non-specialty, et cetera. But yeah, let's think that between one and three and a half dollars per pound, okay? You worked with it for a year. Now let's take the roaster. I'll roast my coffee in eight to 16 minutes, depending on my roast profile. And I'm only retailing that coffee for, let's say, $20 a pound, maybe $25 a pound uh, retail and wholesale will take off 40%. So now already I'm doing it like, like five, six times more, right? Seven times more. And if you turn that uh, pound into espresso or specialty beverages like cappuccinos or, you know, fancy coffee drinks, mm-hmm. that one pound turns into $80 to $140. And one shot of espresso Whoa. takes you 30 seconds max, right? That's the rule of espresso. Yeah. And if you make a specialty beverage, let's say you work with it three minutes to serve that coffee, and suddenly you're cashing in almost $140 for the same pound of coffee but Farmer got $3 for, if he's lucky. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't I think
1: that that's crazy. Whoa. Yeah. It's very crazy, and I think that the way you started this conversation by saying that Central European coffee is better than American coffee, I think is hilarious because there is, maybe I could be wrong, but coffee is not very readily grown in Central Europe or in the United States, so either place has to bring in coffee from the coffee belt from any of those countries that actually do grow it and do produce it, and then roast it. So I think that's the distinction is the roasting difference of Central Europe or Europe versus the United States.
0: Now, the United States does produce coffee in in Hawaii, Kona.
2: That's true. OK, that, that actually I wanted to. So first of all, I did not say Central European coffee is better. It was in 2000, that one fight and I lost that fight. Don't forget Starbucks won at <laughs> that time and I married that woman. Right. So yes. Yeah. But, you know, actually, I, I had a little, little trivia questions for you that, you know, whether the United States grows coffee and you said correctly that yes, in Hawaii. But how about inland? Do you think that United, does the United States grow coffee inland?
0: Nice. Uh, I feel like the answer is yes, but I would have said no if you answered. <laughs>
2: yeah. But, but is yeah. it
1: is it in greenhouses?
2: No. So uh, it's super interesting. But there is there are actually coffee farms in uh, California around Santa Barbara. Okay. Fringe is one of the companies which does that. Um, I was just recently visiting them. I was on a road trip We traveled from L.A. with, you know, um, we flew down to L.A. and we came back with car to San Francisco. And we visited fringe and it's fascinating what they have there. They have all these experiments with different coffee varieties. They also try to interplant them with tropical plants and it feels surreal because it's California coast and anybody who've been at California coast, it's cold, (laughs) you know, it's, it's like, it's beautiful, but it's cold. And yet they, there's this microclimate on this hill where you can grow coffee.
0: Wow. Interesting. And now. Are they distributing nationally or anything? Or is it just like you have to be in the region to get it?
2: Now I'm really intrigued. So they're experimenting with it. And they sell it mostly roasted, uh, small quantities. Uh, They can grow big, but coffee growing is no fun. It's very hard. And they specializing specialty coffee. It's on a hill, so you cannot really use machine harvesting. and I don't even think they would want to do that. So I don't know where it ends up. It's a very expensive coffee, obviously, because, Mm. you know, California labor is not cheap. Uh, It's you know, you need a lot of labor to uh, grow. coffee. But I was fascinating because I remember when they started, I had a coffee and I was like, yeah, cute, whatever, you know, it's fine. It's not horrible, but I would never pay that much for it. No, good luck. And five, six years later, I was visiting them and I was tasting coffee. I was like, wow, this went far away. The geisha coffee, which is, you know, I don't know if you guys ever heard of geisha coffee, it's a variety, which is very expensive, very seeked, uh, in a specialty world is beautiful. So they do amazing job and I think they're going to only improve. Hmm.
1: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you like, what makes the good cup of coffee? Like what in your words, it makes coffee at its top.
2: Okay. So there are two answers. One the short answer, which means the good coffee is the coffee, which makes you happy and you enjoy Mm -hmm. as a person. Mm -hmm. So coffee is a very personal experience. I cannot tell you that, Hey man, you're drinking a wrong coffee. You have to switch to what I drink. That's a offensive B it will ruin your world, which you enjoy. Why would I do that? right? Right? Right. So the second answer is what's, you know, a good cup of coffee for me, right? So for me, a good cup of coffee is honestly grown, honestly processed, honestly roasted. I like, as I said, light to medium roast. It's my preference because I can taste actually a terroir. The the, uh, more you roast, you actually taste the roast, which is, again, fine. That's what you're into, you know, into. Um, I like when the coffee is traceable. That means that you know its origin. You know who grew it. Again, you know, can go back to it. Um, I like when it's prepared simply. I don't like Instant, uh, instant coffees i mean sometimes i drink them because that's what's available and makes me happy right mm-hmm. but if preferred i don't i like simple preparations like just a simple pour over freshly ground freshly roasted i'm happy i mean i, I don't yeah. i don't like crazy contraptions you know i like simplicity
0: no i i'm not familiar with the coffee process all <clears throat> as as you two both are um you get the beans from the plant and mm-hmm. when you collect those The roasting process is getting that raw bean and roasting it in an oven for a certain amount of time.
2: So here's how it works. So you, the coffee seed, or as we call it, bean is a coffee seed, It's a cherry. So it's a seed of a coffee cherry. And what we need to do is get that seed out. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what sometimes when you buy yourself a coffee, you see, there is mentioned the word processing, how the coffee was processed. And there's the three main varieties. Three main processes are washed, honey or pop natural sometimes, and uh, and dried. Uh, So there are different processes how to get this cherry out and all these processes. I don't want to go too deep into them, but all these processes uh, have certain efficiencies for the farmers, but also or processors and also uh, can influence the flavor of the coffee. Then that coffee gets to the roastery where we have these coffee roasters. And there are different coffee roster models like we have cars like somebody drives tesla somebody drives skoda right yeah mm-hmm. so they're different and uh, they can also impart f- flavor of the machine but mostly what we do we profile the uh, coffee um, roasting and that what profiling means is that you achieve certain degree of color in certain time uh of course the coffee roast degree so how, what color you're going to roast it also will imp- impart on the flavor so there's a lot of things what can influence the flavor of the coffee yeah Yeah. yes
1: and i think it's i think it's fascinating the first time i think i actually saw a unroasted coffee bean was when we were in peru bob and they were roasting that bag and the beans are like this grayish green before roasted and it looks very interesting almost looks like a lima bean yeah to me yeah it looks like a lima
0: bean. i'm looking at i I googled it just yeah
2: yeah they're kind of cool and, you know, they color can be different also depending on how they were processed. Let's say the wash process will be much greener. Uh, the sun-dried naturals can be kind of yellowish or naturals, okay. we call them, not sun-dried. I mean, I was using this Brazilian ter- term sun-dried natural, and some people told me they don't have to be dried only on sun. I was like, ah, OK, you're right. So anyway, uh, so the, the, the main difference is that, I mean, let's talk about these two processes because they kind of give you a window what's happening in, in a coffee. Uh, processing. So one, the washed process means that you have a cherry, right? As I said, we want that seed inside. So you take off the skin. So you have these goopy mucilage over the seed. And now you have to kind of get rid of that goopy mucilage. And the traditional way is that it soak in a water for a while, right? Imagine, imagine a plum that kind of meat, you has a plum on a seed. And if you put it in a water for a few days, that mucilage kind of Kind of gets relaxed, right? So then you kind of, with agitation, can, you can wash it off, dry it. You have a washed coffee in a sun-dried, you take the cherry, you dry the whole cherry and it kind of mummifies and then with a machine, you hack the the seed out. It's pretty obvious that when you have a sun-dried natural, sorry, not natural processed coffee uh, in that cherry mummifying, it takes like a month until it dries, so the process is still going on, right? Between the seed and the pulp and the, the whole cherry is still um, like enzyme exchange, right? So they, they, they really impart, let's say, more fruity flavors. When it comes to the washed, we cut rid of them right away in a day or two or three, depending how you wash it. And it will have a little bit different flavor, right?
1: Okay. Well, can we talk about the other process that creates the most natural process, if you ask me, and that's the kopi luwak?
2: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> what are Can your I thoughts spe- on
1: that? Can you, yeah, speak freely. I w- I'm curious. I've never had it. I probably will never have it. But I just really want to know, is it worth it if you've had it?
0: No. Like, explain what it is first, please, because I have no idea what you guys are talking
1: about. Yeah, uh, we're, just, we're just teasing it right now. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so in short, it's a coffee from assholes for assholes. <laughs> so there is this uh, animal called civet. And... Uh, Civet likes, as far as I understand, Civet loves bugs. It does not eat on cherries. It on cherries, but sometimes it eats coffee cherries, falling down coffee cherries on a tree. And then it poops out these beautiful uh, coffee beans. Looks you know, like a nutrageous. Awesome... <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> or a payday. <laughs> mm, oh, so we're
0: ta- all right, we're talking about an insect that eats coffee. No, 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 beans no, no, no. It's, it's a... a cat. Cat. Oh, it's a cat. Okay. Yeah, right,
2: civet. Okay, it's a civet. And uh, it eats bugs, so its its natural food is not coffee cherries, as far as I understand. So it's like a you know omnivore, but sometimes it eats coffee cherries, and you know it uh, in its stomach it processes the coffee cherries, so you know the pulp, and then poops out the seed, and you have this kind of like almost looks like a nut bar. <laughs> with it does. It really it. does. And some clever people take it out from the poop, you know, and then they sell it as a specialty coffee. Uh, So few things about this. First of all, imagine how many civet cats you would need to cover the world's needs. Right. Right. It's ridiculous. It's a lot. So most of them are fake, like most of them are fake. They can have certificates. Mm -hmm. I remember I had a competitor in Slovakia, and when I said this expression, it's uh, coffee from assholes for assholes, I was criticized right away. It's like, oh, you don't understand. We have certificates. It's like, I print out any certificate I want on my printer. I mean, come on, dude. There's no association (laughs) of shitty coffees, you know? So (laughs) no, no guys, I I tell you, uh, avoid that. If you want to pay a lot of money for coffee, try the California coffee, right? Try some amazing geishas from Panama. They cost you arms and legs, but they are worth it. Okay.
1: So Bob, just as a reference, I think the, the actual, uh beans you know before it gets to retail is like a few hundred dollars per pound mm. so if you talk about the typical you know arabica or robusta beans that are a dollar to three dollars per pound from the farm this is 300 times that
2: if it's the real deal if it it's actually, the real deal yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's no way you buy the real deal most yeah. likely you will get buy fake if you really want to pay up i mean just think about the geisha variety it's arabica uh, variety, which is very, again, very popular and, and has this very floral, very interesting flavors in Panama is a farm called Lamastus, uh, sorry, Elida owned by Lamastus family. And I think their highest, uh, coffee, I think that the highest price they got for coffee on an auction was $4,000 per pound green in Panama. Ooh. So you as a roaster, you have to buy it. You have to roast wow. it. You have to bring it to your country, roast it, which is at approximately 15% loss there. And then you have to sell it. <laughs> wow. Yep. That's that's incredible. a real coffee, though. Yeah. Right? It's not, didn't have to any uh, elephant or civet cat or human. Google it. Google Ooh, yeah. it. No. There's a human processed. Don't, what? don't even Wait, know about what?
1: that. Bob, yep. don't get into it. We're not talking about that All on right. this podcast. Yeah, that's not
0: <laughs> It sounds like we shouldn't even waste time on that. Um, no, but
1: I do want to, I would. I want to talk about the different types of beans. Because we already, we mentioned Arabica and Robusta. Are those uh-huh. the two primary? Are there any other i guess species or varieties of coffee beans that is that are harvested or produced
2: okay so uh arabica robusta and liberica uh, okay. and Uigenidis, are species of coffee and th- 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 that's a big category right and we mostly use the arabica and robusta or robusta um in specialty world we use arabica only and arabica has its own varietals or varieties okay. and mm-hmm. those can be bourbon typica Catuai, Catura, there's many, many of them. Imagine in a wine world, I don't know how much you guys know about wine, but the, the wine which is made today is made from the noble grape called Vitis vinifera, and that's your Merlot, your Cabernet Sauvignon, your Pinot Noir, etc. But there's also other uh, species of the grape family which you make wines, so or used to make wines, and that can be Vitis ruparia, Vitis lambrusca, and these are the species. And L- Vitis Lambrusca, for example, um, is an American grape. It makes very foxy wine, but when Phylloxera attacked the wines in end of the, I think 19th century in Europe, we used to plant Lambruscas because, you know, Phylloxera, Lambruscas were resistant to to it. And that's okay. supposed to be the future of the wine industry. Right? So, um, again, like in wine world, we have the Merlots, we have Bourbons and geishas in, in the coffee world.
1: Okay. So uh, in relation to wine, is coffee very impacted by the terrain and climate in terms Mm -hmm. of flavor
2: profile? Absolutely. 100%. Okay. And, you know, because the coffee was traded as a commodity for such a long time and still is, uh, we do not pay attention to this, but in a specialty world, we more and more are kind of paying attention. And that's why I mentioned the traceability, right? The way of processing, the way how the coffee was grown. Um, that, that definitely influences a lot. One disadvantage in coffee is that while in wine we have all these varieties, right? Like Merlot again, Cabernet Sauvignon, these developed over 10,000 years. In a coffee world, we had only four to six hundred years. You know why? Yeah. Because most coffee of the world, what we grow today, comes from two plants stolen by dutch from arabia in sometimes in 1500s what yep so those two plants stolen are the mummy and daddy of all the almost all the coffees of the world there are exceptions one is ethiopia because ethiopia grows coffee wild for centuries and that's why sometimes you buy ethiopian coffee it says wild varieties and that's why ethiopian coffee is always kind of like wow funky and okay. yemen and because in Yemen they cultivate the coffee much longer than anywhere else, but again, isn't that fascinating? We had that's only that's so like, cool. Yeah, I know. So they're like the Genghis Khan of coffee.
0: I'm trying. I'm wait. I, I'm like. So I I didn't comprehend that fully. Like, so there's only two plants that are responsible for all of coffee across all of the countries of the world.
2: Yeah, for the mass production, exactly. That the two coffee plants, which originally were Typica, and then there was natural variation, which is uh, was Bourbon. And then people started to kind of do other variations, so the flavor difference is very kind of like I cannot as a coffee professional if I cup coffee, I cannot tell you whether it's bourbon or Katura or Katuai. I can tell you when the coffee is geisha because geisha has a little bit different path. it came from Ethiopia uh from that wild forest, so it has more floral quality. so if you tell me that you know identify this coffee by variety, it will be very hard for me, wow or impossible, yeah.
1: That's crazy. So, I do wanna I want to point this out because so you're saying that coffee came from like Arabia
2: at that time. Arabia today, I think it's Yemen, the territory. So it's okay. came from Mocha, the port of Mocha. Wow. So
1: I, I mean, coffee is the second, I think, largest produced and highest second largest commodity traded in the world behind oil, both of which are, <laughs> seem to have come out of. Arabia and the Middle East. That's crazy.
2: I mean, you have to realize that Middle East in uh in uh, mid centuries was the 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 most developed world, right? Yeah. But that's where the world was developing, right? So wow. we were as they say quotation mark behind monkeys then. So they got the good stuff and we stole it from them thanks to the Dutch guys and uh yeah, and then through French, it got to different places, and you know that's how the coffee grow, uh, coffee plantation started. You know, stealing, stealing those two plants.
0: So it seems like you're, you lean towards the Arabian area for coffee. What about South America?
2: Well, I don't lean. I just tell you the story. I love yeah. coffees from all over the world, uh, Central America was one of the beneficiaries of these two plants. Obviously, you know they started mm-hmm. to grow them on plantations. I love Central American coffees. I love Southern American coffees too. Uh, it's hard to discriminate. Each of them has its uh, kind of like zing and zang, right? Things that you like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm definitely not a coffee nationalist. I love them all.
1: Yeah. But do you have, do you tend to have a preference when it comes to a lighter roast versus a darker roast?
2: Yes. I, I prefer lighter roast for sure. Because again, I want to celebrate that terroir. Yeah. Uh, rather than what is, that the,
0: that what is it that you're celebrating?
2: Terroir. Terroir. Yeah. And what the is terroir? Place. Terroir is a fancy word we uh-huh. use in, in wine especially. So you want to celebrate the place, the origin yeah. of the coffee, how it was grown. Because terroir means the soil, the sun, the environment, the microbiome of the place, right? Okay. So okay. the
1: longer you roast it, the more you take on the actual just breaking down of carbon.
2: Yep. Absolutely. And it, it becomes
1: more toasted and you lose that terroir.
2: Yes, yes. You lose the acidity. You lose the uh, fruity so notes. Tr-
0: okay, so it's a trade-off. So the the longer you roast it, you're then getting the flavor of the roast versus the flavor of the plant, the, yeah. the actual
2: bean. Yeah. So yeah, imagine a okay. steak, right? I I don't know if you guys love yeah, a good right? Steak. I, How do you like it? Rare or uh, well done? Medium. I'm a, I'm a rare person.
0: Yeah. I like it rare. Yeah.
2: So the rare steak of coffee would be the light roast.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay so i always went dark (laughs) like i always drank dark because it had that boldness to it it was like super Mm. bitter and that sort of gave me like the jolt like it really the smell the aroma of like the heavy roast was always what i went for um but now i'm gonna go (laughs) light.
1: yeah
0: i I, I mean i'm gonna seek out i'm gonna try to pick up on flavors and i'm I'm gonna play around with it a little bit more yeah elliot it loves coffee elliot when we we've traveled to peru together we've traveled um, to Morocco, which was more of tea, but even in France and we spent time in Europe and, uh, Elliot, you definitely seek out a good cup of coffee and I can tell when you're drinking it, you really take the time to enjoy it. Coffee for me has always been a, like a caffeine boost. Yeah. It was always, you know, just grab the caffeine in the morning, take the smell in and it kind of woke me up and I never really explored it for its prop, like taste property, taste profile. So now I'm excited to do that with this information. So
1: Valerian, can you can you tell us or talk to us a little bit about um, the caffeine content of a light roast versus a dark roast and some of the misconceptions that a dark roast may be more caffeinated because it's got that darker profile?
2: Uh, That's the difference between light roast and dark roast is very minimal. You should not even, you know, uh, go by the roast degree. That's that's non relevant to you, to your health, anything. The most relevant difference would be uh, Arabica versus Robusta. Where Robusta has usually usually double of the caffeine what Arabica has, wow. and it also depends, you know, uh, because you have to think about coffee as an agricultural product. So depending on how, where the coffee was grown, processed, right, would have more or less caffeine. It's you know you you really. If you really want to know the amount of caffeine in a plant, uh, in a coffee, you have to measure it. That's the only way I don't, don't really like articles when they tell you that, Oh, you know, a cup of coffee has this many milligrams of coffee. How do they know that? How do they know how much it had as green and how do they know how the coffee was brewed? Because brewing obviously will influence a lot, how much caffeine you end up with Yes. because everybody has a different technique. But, uh, here's a fun fact, by the way, do you know guys, why there's a caffeine in a coffee? Why there's caffeine? Yeah. No. No, I don't. It's not for your pleasure, dudes. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's an it's insecticide. That's how the oh. plant protects itself against bugs. So isn't that? I think that's also why um, peppers
1: are hotter in yes. in tropical climates. Is because the higher the capsaicin level, the less animals will eat them.
2: Yeah. So the pro- plants are protecting themselves all these with this all uh, all these using all these compounds, and then we have caffeine in coffee. And we human things that, Hey, the coffee making, making it for us. Nope. It's basically a poison for the bugs, obviously. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's so cool. I did not know that.
2: Yeah. A few bugs who love like these bees who love caffeine and they, is the caffeine. So the caffeine is everywhere in a plant, in the leaves everywhere. And there's a little bit in, in, in the flowers and the bees love it. And there's also one bug called Broca, which is a nasty pest, which lives in a coffee cherry and they don't mind it, unfortunately. So.
1: Yeah. All right. So with the, with the Arabica and the Robusta, those are the two predominant beans is the, is it the Arabica? That's like 70% of coffee production.
2: I don't know the numbers right now it's changing okay. because even the countries like Vietnam, which is a major uh, Robusta uh, grower are still be changing because they want more money, right? So they see that our, our Arabica is more, you know, profitable, maybe more profitable. That said, Let's not forget that the climate change, uh, makes hard time for Arabica to grow and maybe Robusta will be needed in the future because Robusta can grow on a lower elevations. There doesn't need, it's not so fussy than Arabica, Arabica is. So yeah, I I don't know exactly the, the division now.
1: And you said Robusta is typically twice as more caffeine.
2: Yeah, typically. Yeah. But they, you know, again it's generally because there might be low caffeine robustas, which can meet the high caffeine Arabicas. Right. Okay. So it's just a general, I, I can, you know, anytime I have a robusta coffee, first of all, I don't like it too much, but you know, when I evaluate, I have to taste it. I feel it right away. I'm like, my heart is like pumping. Oh, interesting.
1: I'll have to keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah. Cause it, I will say on, on most of the labels, you're not you're not able to tell if it's arabica or robusta it just kind of tells you the origin and the roast profile interesting
2: so if you buy specialty coffees those will be all arabicas because there's non specialty robusta or they're trying to bring in specialty robusta with uh kind of different marketing but i don't know what's going to happen with that but most of the coffee is arabica if you buy it in a specialty stores uh the starbucks would be arabicas you know i don't think they deal with robustas at all i mean i have a specialty coffee company in europe in slovakia and we bring robusta as a joke sometimes uh and we market it as a as a punishment (laughs) if you want to punish your friend buy them robusta so
1: so a typical a typical cup of coffee is what like 100 just to say 100 milligrams of caffeine so robusta would be 200 and if you do a double shot of espresso that's 200 milligrams. If you do a double shot of espresso with robusta, you're at 400 milligrams.
2: I'm not going to play your game because I really don't know. Really. like <laughs> It depends how much it had as a green and how did you pull that shot? It can that's be cool. anything from zero to 400, you know, So <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, man, that's nuts. So, I know. I, um, have you had a chance to kind of travel and go to some of these coffee growers, distributors? And obviously roasting can occur anywhere, but the, the growing is, I think the most interesting aspect to me because we rarely, as the consumer get to know the farmer, especially in Western civilization. Cause it just doesn't, the growing doesn't occur where we live.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, if you are in California, then it does, but it does. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I traveled few, uh, I went to Hawaii, I went to Panama, I was in Costa Rica, um. Uh, not enough because obviously i would want to go to other places of the world um but you know i'm also like you i I love to travel but recently i had you know up to now i had small kids it was complicated so now as kids get you know bigger maybe i'll be more time uh so we'll see but i do recommend to everyone to go and try out coffees on the farm that's a different experience i mean obviously hawaii is uh, especially on Maui, it's a little bit uh, touristy and stuff, but there, there is a place. I think there's Maui Grown that you can go and kind of have your first experience. If you are scared of Central America, you shouldn't be. But if you are right, I, I love Panama. Uh, I think Panama is magnificent when it comes to coffee and culture. There is the region around Vulcan Baru, uh, close to the uh, National Park Amistad, which is an Costa Rican borders It's the highlands of Panama. It's very, it's awesome climate. It's not that hot than, you know, uh, the other parts of Panama and coffee is incredible.
0: What makes it incredible?
2: Uh, They specialize in, first of all, they do it for a while. Second, they specialize in this variety, which uh, is geisha. You know, I, I talked about that and they, I think today do one of the best geishas of the world. And, you know, not every geisha is $4,000 per pound. Again, that was an auction and kudos for the farmer to get $4,000 per pound of coffee. They deserve it, you know, every cent of it. Uh But, you know, that was my first great experience when I was in Panama and I was sitting down with the farmer and his coffee. It was just like magic. Yeah.
1: And. Got, I got to ask so when you're trying new coffees and you're actually sitting down trying to analyze the flavors that come out of the terroir and the roast what is your preferred method you said simpler is better so do you just do like a, a burr grinder and a pour over
2: so when we analyze coffee it's a bit different game and uh, when okay. we do it professionally at boot coffee what we use is a so-called cupping have you ever seen this i don't we think have these kind of cups of coffee and we just pour over the coffee, over uh, sorry, pour over the water over grounds. Okay. And we have a sheet called cupping sheet, which has different categories. And we evaluate coffee. It's a pretty sophisticated evolution technique when it comes to evaluating coffee. I actually had a wine guy on my podcast once, and we did a demo for him. And I said, well, how do you evaluate wine? He said, nothing like this. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a more complicated, uh, more complex process. Uh, if anybody's interested, they should just Google, um, cupping methodology, specialty coffee association, and they will get the sheets and everything. So they can try that home.
1: Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Uh-huh. I, I like right now, especially during the pandemic when we're not quite able to do everything we want to still. I think that'd be, that'd be kind of a cool thing to do. Like it's like wine tasting or cheese tasting. You really get to know the coffee and then you kind of figure out what you like in coffee. And then Uh when you go to Starbucks, you're going to be like, wait, you only have three options and they're the same three across the entire world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But how, I guess, how impactful has coffee been throughout history? Because it it doesn't seem like coffee has been, you know, prevalent until about 500 years ago when those two plants came out of Arabia.
2: So, you know, the the start of coffee was uh, bumpy because, uh, first of all, you know, we stole those plants. We have, second Second of all, it has this colonial uh, background, right? Slavery and stuff. So uh, we had bumpy start. And I think that some of that still rubs off on us today when we don't think of coffee the same way, like say, as we think of wine, right? We think about it as a commodity. My example was when I was thinking of coffee as a red, yellow, and whatever blend you know, in 2000, right? And not as a, something which, it's grown to our, you know, enjoyment and can be appreciated the same way as wine. A good example going to recent culture is that I had a student from Saudi Arabia and coffee in Saudi Arabia is super expensive. And I was like, hey guys, why do you pay that much for the coffee? And he said, well, just imagine that for us, because we don't drink alcohol, you you guys pay a lot of money for whiskey or expensive wine. For us, the coffee is the wine. I was like, huh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Interesting. So, Culturally, it was very important. Obviously, the from the writers, you have all these stories about, you know, authors drinking a lot of coffee and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. So here, here, I'll give you one cultural uh, thing from my side, which I'm kind of like battling with. So I was in this road trip. And a buddy of mine said, hey, in LA, there's this cafe. They serve this amazing coffee. Uh, it's 10 bucks uh, pour over. I was like... OK, and I was like, that's expensive. He said, yeah, yeah, but you know, I was the one who selected that coffee for them. I was like, OK, I love the guy. I'll give him a in the benefit of doubt. So I bought myself that coffee. And what happened is they served it to me in a paper cup. And I don't know what's with you, Americans, man. I live here for many years, but the paper cup is for me, the cultural unacceptance of coffee. Like, if you are in rush, I can see that you get it in paper cup. Fine. I, I'm not that kind of guy. Fine. But having a $10 coffee in a paper paper cup, or the same, you know, I went to Santa Cruz, and again, I had one of the best espressos of my life, and it was served in a paper cup. And I was like, why? Why?" Well, are you talking
0: about, like, the standard to-go cardboard Uh paper cups that, like, you get a Dunkin' Donuts or Uh a Starbucks in? Okay.
2: So it's again, it's a different way. I'm talking about the high-grade, very expensive coffees, or the best espresso I ever had, sitting down, not asking it to go, and automatically mm-hmm. served in a paper cup.
1: To me, that's like getting a, a nice fifty-dollar glass of wine in a paper cup,
2: like a red mm-hmm.
1: solo cup. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, or that.
2: Yeah. And and I encourage everybody to kind of take the paper cup, and smell it. Take the lid. Look at the dust under it. What you, if there is any or not, anytime you get it and smell it and then combine it and smell it and you will realize that's what you're drinking. I, I have to say my big, like, I hate paper cups. I hate the lids. And I know a lot of Americans who are listening to this podcast is now like, you know, turning this off, like, hey, this dude is crazy. But seriously, take your time, man. Take your time to have the coffee. Take your time to have it in the ceramics. And if you in really rough, sometimes it happens to me. I'm on the airport. I need a bus. Yeah, sure. Paper cup. Fine. You know, but yeah. The expensive coffees in a paper cup I was like, what
0: the well, heck? Mo- and most coffee places will allow you to bring your own cup. Like yeah. I know Starbucks, mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, travel you know, mugs. have the mm-hmm. Like You can bring your own ceramic mug or metal mm-hmm. container, metal uh, travel container.
1: Yeah. And, and get it that way.
2: It's also so that's more quite,
1: sustainable that way too. Yeah, It is. Tossing that every single time.
2: So for me as a european, I wouldn't call myself snob, but this bothers because I'm happy to you know drink any coffee, but this mm-hmm. really really bothers me and yeah
0: well so as a European uh, I want to get into the coffee wars over there um coffee wars yeah the co- well yeah the I, I guess war is not the right word I don't want to coffee that clashes yeah uh <laughs> Italy uh is known for their coffee uh having not grown any they've developed pretty much like and i'm i'm speaking out of complete ignorance here but they are responsible for and i'm going to overstate it to be wrong on purpose for espresso they are responsible for lattes macchiatos uh you know they're in my mind italians uh are the best to do coffee do you agree disagree or want to provide more information on that
2: I want to provide more information. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you are right. The Italians brought us espresso. Kudos to them. There is no doubt about that. Espresso is a very Italian Lattes, thing. Right, Lattes yeah. and cappuccinos. Yeah. right? Yeah. Cap- cappuccinos. Yeah. Yeah, cappuccino. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. 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 Anything.
2: The re- but th- let's not forget the reason why they brought it to us. The stole it? Hmm? Because the Romans stole it. I don't know. No, 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 no. So Romans didn't have it. Don't forget. Yeah. The espresso is the invention of efficiency. They wanted to make as much coffee in such a short, as short time as possible. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to make the best coffee ever. It was going to are going to make as many coffees as possible in the shortest possible time.
1: Oh, is that why there's the off-brand espresso?
2: There's, there's off-brand espresso?
1: Well, there's, there's like a, espresso um, stores. I, I've seen a few of them. I'm yeah. like, when I was younger, I, I saw those all the time, and I didn't know what the difference was between espresso and espresso.
2: There's no, and it's literally, wrongly spelled. Yeah. it's literally just to get, to get it as fast yeah, as I, you it, can.
1: It, it's a peppy of mine when people pronounce
0: it, espresso. My, my yeah. boss at work calls it an espresso and he's an Italian guy and it annoys me to know him. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, um, can we talk about espresso more?
2: Mm-hmm. It,
0: yeah. Is it highly caffeinated? It's more caffeinated than standard coffee and how, right? If it's all coming from the same bean, how does that work?
2: Well, is it, it can be less caffeine depending on a shot, right? It can be less caffeine than a regular coffee, but it hits you differently because you have it as condensed beverage. You're basically putting yourself this condensed thing and it hits you differently. For example, when I have coffee, like a regular brewed coffee, it hits me slowly and kind of like maintains its presence for a longer time. While when you have it, um, as espresso, it hits you right away. It's a kind of big jolt, but also kind of tapers off uh, faster, but it depends obviously on the body. Now going back to the espresso uh, thing with Italy, is it the best coffee in the world? Mm -hmm. Here's a, I think it's not, I think the Italy fall asleep a little bit because they brought this amazing thing, but you know, they did not innovate and the whole other, like the whole world took over the concept and started to make, I think compatible or sometimes better espressos. Now that said, there's no better place to drink espresso than Italy. Like I went. I went, in, so I'm into pizza. I don't even yes. like pizza. I just like the whole story of pizza. And the, the, the I'm actually making p- sourdough pizza at home. I little a pizza oven. So I went to Naples to figure this thing out. And I was like, okay, as a coffee guy, I have to go to, a, you know, check out the espresso scene. So we had a few espressos. The es- best espresso I had was this rinky-dinky small store in a neighborhood where we had our Airbnb. or oh, sorry, Booking.com or whatever we ordered the room on. and. It was like the dude had a co-espresso maker, which was dirty from like 1950s or something that he didn't even have that heating on the top. It had these special bath of hot water where he was heating the heating the cups, which was for me like, what? And <laughs> there, there were these old dudes sitting on these chairs, which they brought from the apartments outside, looking at the TV, watching some soccer match or something and drinking that espresso. So going there... Oh, and the and the guy who was serving it, it was in this kind of like uh, like you have the lab coat but blue, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it it was the experience was incredible. That was the best espresso I ever had, you know. And I can say, oh, I do such a great blend. But No, no, that was the best espresso I ever had because the experience elevated it into into the highest degree. Mm-hmm. I can say the same about France. I was recently in Paris, and the way how they do cafe au lait is a butchery of espresso. It's against every rule you do. That's not how you pull shot for a shot for a cappuccino or for latte, right? Yet, having a pastry with that cafe au lait, being in one of the most beautiful cities on the world, boy, there's nothing better than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I just realized that I mean talking about espresso and realizing that it- Italy kind of invented the espresso to mass produce it faster, it's only been around for hundred and twenty years, so it's only it's only been around for like a quarter of coffee's existence
2: mm-hmm. oh, man, yeah but so you much. know it's it's a it's a very different beast uh because uh you know normally we extract coffee. But in espresso, we extract and also emulsify the oils. So you get this kind of like very oily be- beverage. And in the beginning, you guys, before we started the podcast, we talked about, you know, what, what, what's the, like, uh, what is the espresso blend? And I said, no, no, there's no such a thing as espresso coffee. There is only espresso as a preparation method. You can use any coffee you want. You can use light roast if you want. Obviously you get a different result. Uh, and I always say that the best espresso blends are not roasted dark. They are roasted let's say medium medium dark and the selection of coffees matches uh the balance and sweetness of the of the espresso okay uh, what i'm talking about so today the espresso wars in europe for me is two schools also united states is two main schools one which is like we use light roast and espresso often tastes like lemonade it's like so sour and very acidic Or the other school, which is like, oh, we're going to mute that acidity uh, roasting the coffee darker, but then it tastes like ash and I don't like either of them. It's like, I don't want ash and I don't want a lemonade. What I want is a balanced, sweet, beautiful coffee. And for that, you know, as a roaster, I will select, let's say, coffees with lower acidity as a base. Maybe a Brazilian is a good example. And that's what Italians do by the way. They select the main base component is always a Brazilian coffee, which gives you chocolate nuts. Uh And then let's say you can do this kind of highlighting of certain flavor. Let's say you can go with a more vibrant uh, Ethiopian, maybe floral, maybe some fruity coffee. Just kind of give it a little like a peak, you know? Mm-hmm. So that I think that's the crucial thing what a good coffee roaster has to learn. So how to select your coffees for a good espresso blend.
1: All right. So there's two more things that I want to talk about because we're getting close to wrapping up here. But one, nitro brews. Mm. What are your thoughts on those? Like cold brew, nitro dispensed.
2: I think that's are interesting things. I mean, it's, it's so cold brew is not my favorite thing personally, simply because I think it's a little bit dumbifies the coffee. It gives you the base notes. It doesn't give you the whole spectrum of coffee. So, but that said, I salute people who came up with it and kind of brought an interesting product for people who enjoy those flavors and same with nitro brew, you know, it's, it's fun, right? Drinking. I I have to say I first, nitro boo I ever had was a Starbucks one and that tasted disgusting because <laughs> I tasted those ashes in it, which I don't like. Right. But when I gave it another chance with some, let's say smaller roaster who was doing like medium roast on it, it was a very interesting beverage, not coffee, like what I'm used to, yeah. but very interesting beverage.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I do like, I think the, the smoothness of a cold brew is actually kind of nice, especially when it's nitro dispensed, but it does, you don't have that same, it gets rid of a lot of the bitterness, which some people claim that's the flavor of it, but either way, I guess it's just a dependent on your taste.
2: Mm-hmm. Bitterness is usually coming from overextracted coffee. So yeah. if you do a cold brew properly, you should not have bitterness in it. Hint, okay. hint.
1: Oh, good. All right. All right. And then the other thing I want to talk about, and we haven't discussed it. I don't even think it's been mentioned at all throughout this whole thing is decaf. Mm -hmm. What, in your opinion, is, is decaf good? Is it, uh, what does the extraction process look like to get rid of caffeine from a coffee bean? I
2: want your take. So if you want, first of all, I am not against decaf, I'm a consumer of decaf, and uh, I have to say, in order to uh, do a good decaf, I export a lot of decafs. As you get older, you get more sensitive to caffeine, most of us. And me, as getting older, I got more sensitive. I'd want to still drink my coffee in the evening, so I have to drink decaf. That said, I don't want to drink crappy coffee. So, in order to create decaf, you can go two ways. One is more natural and one is more chemical in a chemical way you can do so-called solvents use different kind of solvents which i never touch those coffees just those decafs don't taste good i don't want to you know think that they you know use chemicals to get rid of the caffeine and the second one is a natural way and there's different processes too There is a CO2 process or Swiss water process or water process mountain, sorry, mountain water process. Me personally, and that's just my personal preference, I like the Swiss water process coffee is the best. So those are Swiss water processed uh, decafs. Now, obviously uh, it also depends how you roast them. I like to roast them to kind of medium, but they will look darker than uh, regular coffee because from get-go they are kind of like brownish. And I give you one tip, if you, let's say are in my position, let's say five, six years ago, when I had to switch some of my coffee to decaf and you really don't like that decaf, just add 10, 20% regular coffee to it. Make yourself, well, you know, it's not that much caffeine, but it really elevates that coffee very well. So Swiss okay. water decaf with maybe 20% of regular coffee, you will love it.
1: All right. That's good enough. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. All right, I, I I love this conversation.
0: Yeah, I I learned a lot. I didn't really know much about coffee. I realized uh, until I started to have this conversation. Um, fascinating stuff.
2: So, what, yeah. how are we going to change your coffee behavior, guys?
0: I'm I'm going to go light roast. I'm going to okay. start looking into light roast. So, I have small coffee shops near me uh, that sell their own brand of coffee. I, I'm going to pay more attention to it. So, I'm assuming that it's going to be. Arabic coffee.
2: Arabica, yeah.
0: Arabica. And then I'm go yeah, I'll go with the light roast and uh looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think so I usually I typically do a latte and um because I get a new cup of or a new bag of coffee every four weeks, I've been trying to at least do one espresso with it. Just no milk, nothing and just try it on its own to see it, what it tastes like. So I think I might do that more often now just to get more of that flavor. I need an espresso maker. So I have a, I have, a, I have a coffee mm. maker, but I like it,
0: it and it, it has options on it and it says like rich, like normal or whatever, and then it says specialty. And specialty is supposed to be um like uh, an espresso I guess, but now I grind my I buy the beans, I grind the beans down I put them in there and then I'll hit specialty and it's only a small quantity. So I know that's like what they're trying to go for, but ultimately like it doesn't really taste like a espresso. Like a, it doesn't have the texture of an espresso. And I still don't understand the difference between rich and just the normal. I don't know. I don't know how this machine, it, you know, and it's a quantity team, of but, water added to it. So that's it. That's all that, the, that this is doing.
2: Yeah. So here's my, don't buy espresso machine. Don't mm. the, the, to get a good espresso you it will be a very expensive game for you so you know like i say go i love the idea of going to independent stores i think they really you know bring their own uh persona to that so you know it's more interesting than going to starbucks at least for me because you are you guys are travelers you like the experience you like the adventure and every of these little stores can be an adventure oh yeah um, talk to the baristas anytime you want about the coffee or anybody who prepares the coffee for you, hopefully they're educated and they know what they do. And it's always fascinating. If you meet somebody who is really passionate about coffee, you will basically be running away from there because they will give you so much information, which is great, but to make a good espresso, you know, it requires training, it requires expensive, expensive equipment. So just, you know, trust the baristas, just let them do, I mean, that's what I do. Like you yeah. know, I have all the fancy toes at home. I have fancy toes in the lab that I work, but I trust a good barista that they make me better espresso than I make it myself.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Cool. Yeah, all right.
0: Uh, Valerian, uh, before we get into the the rapid fire round that we did not inform you of, uh, I want to oh. give you an opportunity oh, yeah. <laughs> to. I want to give you the opportunity to share your website, your social media, your podcast information. Where can people? Follow you and learn more about coffee.
2: Okay, so on Instagram, I'm Valerian underscore Coffee. Uh, you can find my podcast at CoffeeIs.me. So it's CoffeeIs.me. Uh, again, it's mostly for people who want to start coffee business or interested in coffee business. Now I work at uh, Boot Coffee. It's BootCoffee.com, which is where we do education uh, for future coffee roasters, tasters, baristas. You name it. And, uh, yeah, I have a coffee business in Slovakia. Go to green plantation, GP but it's only for Slovaks because it's in Slovak. So I don't know how many Slovak listeners you have.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we got a
2: few. <laughs> but we, or not. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Excellent. All right. All right. So yeah. rapid fire is just going to be, we'll ask you a question. You can just say whatever comes to the top of your head. It doesn't have to be a short answer. doesn't have to be a long answer. Just whatever's there so okay. i'll get it started what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word
2: travel friendship
0: nice all right that's i'm nice. gonna switch this one up normally the question is what travel book had the biggest influence on in your life but what coffee book had the biggest influence on your life or, or
1: book in general 1984 oh okay all right George Orwell. Right?
2: Yeah. yeah that's why i became political scientist i don't forget i grew up in communism so yeah. that book was very important for us yeah
1: Yeah, very influential. All right. And this one, this one's fairly new. Um, We'll see how long it stays here. But if you had the opportunity to be gifted $10 million with the catch that a snail would try to kill you with one touch for the rest of your life, would you take the money? And no, the snail cannot be killed and it can track you everywhere.
2: No. (laughs) No. I saw the question. Life, I think it's great. You, you know, I grew up in a very poor family. I also got, you know, much better now, um, you know, <laughs> living good life. And all those lives had its perks. I'd rather be alive than being killed by a snail. Yeah. I, yeah, I did see run
0: away. I saw that I... in a meme and I just threw it in there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I've, I've seen that question before and someone actually had a very logical answer on Reddit. Then um, I was like, wow, well, you really just completely outsmarted that question. That's the answer. I mean I, I it was very elaborate. I would have to look at it again. Okay,
2: okay. Well, you all guys right. want I mean, first of all, I would not outrun it. Look at me. I mean, to <laughs> I have to eat, so I'm not going to run anywhere. And it was easy for me because I I I don't know if I can win against Destiny because there might be other conditions I don't know about. So I just want my life. That's all. That's I don't care for dollars. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Tell us one thing travelers should not do. Oh boy. Uh they should not expect the same experience what they have at, at home. They should have really open mind and embrace the difference.
0: Yes. Right. Love that. Love that answer.
1: And lastly, what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself
2: 10 years ago? Lose weight. <laughs>
1: All right. I used
2: to be, I used to be 300, almost 350 pounds. Now I'm around 220. Oh, wow. So Congratulations. Thank yeah. you. That that liberated my life. Yeah, uh, it's just there's so many changes what happen. And you know, when you are that weight, you don't realize what's happening to you because that's your normal. But once you lose all that weight, you realize, hey, I can be on airport and not uh, on airplane and not annoy other passenger. I can move faster. I can think better, etc. So yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, great. That's language. impressive. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Valerian. Thank you for coming on the Travelers Bluebird Podcast.
2: Thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure to be with you. And I hope that you guys are going to have some fun with coffee.
1: You know, I loved this episode. I love coffee. I I had an understanding of coffee, but now I know so much more. And it's made me a much, much better person.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really didn't know a lot about coffee, to be honest. Uh, I do love it. And I enjoy drinking it. But it's just not something that I spent the time researching in depth. And so this is great. This is great, like a beginner one-on-one course on everything that you need to know about coffee. And now I have certain avenues that I can explore and to learn more.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to try other brew methods too, because I I honestly did not know espresso was, I didn't know, A, I knew it was an Italian thing, but I didn't know it was invented by the Italians and it's only been around for like a hundred years or so.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bold statement right here. Oh boy! That I that I love saying to annoy people. Uh, no one has had more influence on global culture than the Italians. Wow, that is bold. Oh yeah, yep, very bold. Food, coffee, uh, you know, democracy, architecture. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, man, there's a case to be made there. There so is a case to be made. Discuss it later.
1: All right. If you if you have a different opinion, please only send it to Bob yeah (laughs) thank you for listening uh if you're if you're a fan of the show and you haven't given us a rating or followed us on social media and this is your first time maybe listening please do so share it with friends and family too uh speaking of coffee you can buy us a coffee with our link on instagram or our website we also have merchandise on redbubble that's anything from what you can wear to things that you can hang in your house and some of the proceeds go directly to us to support the show And stay safe, stay healthy, grab a cup of coffee and tune in next week.